0: Psalm 113 this evening is our starting place. If you're with us tonight, Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And if you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. And we try to cover a little bit of territory on Sunday evenings. And good to have a Bible and hear the Word of God and read along yourself. And then, please, if you don't own a Bible, we want everybody to own a Bible take that Bible as a gift from the Lord to you this evening. Psalm 113 is a psalm of just pure, pure praise to the Lord. Sometimes we'll praise the Lord and it'll be a uh, kind of a preface or an introduction to ultimately getting to something that we want to ask Him for related to a great need in our life. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful thing to do with the Lord. But here is a psalm that is just pure praise. There's no petition. There's no asking for anything at all. No call for help or deliverance. Just uninterrupted praise. And the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. And in these Opening verses here. It's a beautiful instruction, really, on praise. Who are we to praise? The Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Who is the people that are going to bring praise to the Lord? Well, we can't expect the world to do that. We are to praise the Lord. He said, Praise the name of the Lord. And the name represents, in the Old Testament sense, the character of the person that we're talking about. So it's to praise God for his character. I tell him so often, I know he doesn't get tired of it at all, but again last night I'm getting ready to fall asleep and all, and i just saying, Lord, I am so glad that you are my God, and I am so glad that you are exactly who and what you are. I wouldn't change a thing about him. I can't even begin to think of a way to improve upon him. And just the beauty of his character and his nature. And so praise the name of the Lord because of who and what he is. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, if a person isn't praising the Lord at this point for who he is and all, then let it begin. Let praise mark our lives from this moment forward, for the rest of our lives. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. In other words, from the moment we wake up in the morning until the moment we go to sleep, from the rising of the sun till its going down, the name of the Lord is to be praised every waking hour. But we can also understand it to mean from the rising of the sun, that is, from the east to its going down on the west. In other words, the whole world is to be uh, praising the Lord. So it, it works great either way, and the Lord is worthy of it uh, either way. And then he tells us some of the reasons why um, the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. Do you believe that? Sometimes we talk about this nation or that nation... Uh, mostly the United States being the greatest nation in the world. I think we're in decline at the moment, but uh, we talk about that. It's like you go to the Disneyland, and they've got uh, that, uh, maybe it's Disney World or wherever anyway, but they've got that Muppet movie, 3D. And so the, whoever that eagle Muppet is and everything is going to do a... a. Um, you know, 15-minute tribute to all of the nations of the world. And then he says, but mostly the United States of America, you know. So please good to an American audience. But whatever, however great any nation might be in the world, God is greater than any nation. He's greater than all of the nations of the world, which is an encouragement when the nations of the world are turning far away from him. The Lord is high above all nations. He's not restricted by our policies. He's not restricted in helping us because something as powerful as some human government has aligned itself against us. God is always going to be faithful to his word. His glory is above the heavens. And so here is not only is he greater than the high above all the earth, but his glory is even above the heavens. It can't even be contained. Within the heavens, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? so now you go to the third heaven, the God, the God that we worship and the God that we love. He dwells in heaven. Heaven is his home. Heaven is his throne room. And so the psalmist here is just praising the Lord for, for lifting up this praise in every way that he knows how for who and what God is. You know, I never read Psalm 113 and I get the sense that we're dealing with a child of God who thinks he's missing out on anything in life because he's following the Lord. (laughs) He's a person that is thrilled to have the life that he has in worshiping the Lord and following him. So he's praising the Lord for his greatness. And then something very, very interesting happens in verse 6 and the continuation of his praise. And he declares concerning the Lord who humbles himself To behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. And so the psalmist, his praise doesn't end with just praising the Lord for his majesty and for his greatness. But the psalmist ends his praise by praising the Lord for his humility. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. And as, as in awe... As the psalmist is of the greatness of God, higher above all of the nations of the world, the heavens can't even contain him. He, his dwelling place is in the third heaven, heaven itself. And yet that's not the thing that impacts him the most or even finally. What impacts him the most in his praise and appreciation of the Lord is his awe over the fact that God, in his humility, has a concern for man and his willingness to involve himself in our great need and that he has a soft spot in his heart for man. And I think we all understand something of that, don't we? If we were to search out the the deepest places in our heart from which Worship comes. Yes, for sure it comes over the greatness of His size and the greatness of His power and that He indwells all that He indwells, that there's nothing that's impossible for Him. But I would contend that for most of us, the greatest source of praise in our life is to know that He is all of that and yet still interested in me and humbled Himself in order to be involved in my life. I can't believe that He loves me. I wouldn't believe it except the Bible says so, and I can't be wrong. That's what it takes to convince a guy like me, who knows myself as well as I know myself, I can't believe that He loves me, and He loves you. And what praise and worship that produces within us, and what humility... How low He is willing to go in order to have a relationship with me and to be committed to me and to you in the way that He is. And so this concern that the Lord has for us, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. And notice, though, that the Lord does more than just behold us. He also raises the poor out of the dust. In other words, he brings a significance to our life that we would never otherwise know. And lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He gives our life a higher meaning and a higher purpose that we would never otherwise know. That, they, that he may seat him with princes. In other words, he elevates us. To royalty, he elevates us into his royal family. And with the princes of his people, he grants the barren woman a home like the joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. In other words, he brings a joy and a fruitfulness to our lives that we would never otherwise know. He provides us with a joy filled spiritual family that we would at never otherwise no and so he raises he lifts he seats he grants and one of the amazing things to realize concerning psalm 113 is that it is the first of a series of psalms psalm 113 through psalm 118 that are known as the hellel psalms they were always sung as a part of the feast of passover and this Psalm 113 would have been one of the psalms that Jesus sang with his disciples associated with the Last Supper on the night just before he was crucified and went to Calvary when he was in that upper room with the disciples. And Matthew records it this way, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the mount of olives. Something to read Psalm 113 and to realize my Savior sang that psalm. That psalm came out of His lips with His disciples on the night before His crucifixion. And all of it is very interesting and I think very instructive because It is through Jesus that the greatest expressions of God's humility towards sinful man would be expressed, which is what the psalm was all about. Think about the divine humility involved in the Son of God being willing to be born into the sinfulness of this world in order to save you and I. What an act of humility that is on the part of the Lord. Divine humility demonstrated in his incarnation, but also demonstrated in Jesus' death upon the cross. What does that speak of the humility of God and his willingness to concern himself with us as Jesus hangs upon that cross, bloody and beaten, and unrecognizable for his personal identity there on that cross, a scene so shameful that the Father shrouded it in darkness. If the psalmist had been able to sit, stand at the base of that cross, gazing on that mutilated Savior, think about what psalm he might have written of the humility of God. God. And what psalm might he have written under the weight of Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And what psalm of God's humility would have filled his heart and his mind and then moved his pen-filled hand at the words of, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what psalm would he have written if he had learned that this same God would not only be willing to behold the things that are on the earth, as we're told in verse 6, but then be willing to come into a human heart and make himself at home in the filthiness of my heart when I came to know him, to begin the gigantic job of performing some act of cleaning and cleansing in this wicked heart of mine. Think about a God who is willing to indwell fallen and sinful human beings and the humility on His part that is expressed in doing that. And then what psalm would have been written if the psalmist then learned of the humility of God demonstrated in His willingness to share His home with us, His willingness to open up the very door of heaven to us and make it not only His home, but our home as well. And so we look at this psalm, and the Bible, The Bible says, Jesus said concerning the Old Testament, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have everlasting life, but these are they which testify of me. In the New Testament it says the volume of the book was written of him. It's all a type and a shadow, just a, 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 a small glimpse at the greater thing that he would bring into human existence. And we just thank the Lord tonight, I think, under the weight of Psalm 113, not just for his majesty and his power, as thankful as we are for those things but to be thankful in our heart that he isn't just a powerful God, he isn't just a majestic God, he isn't just an omnipresent God, but that he is a God who is willing to humble himself. And without that willingness to humble himself, none of us, would have any hope, and none of us would have any hope of accessing His power and His majesty or hope of a relationship with Him. Our love, Psalm 113, always reminds me just to give Him praise for His humility. Jesus, speaking of the humility of Jesus, who humbled Himself and died for us, and not only died for us, but died the death upon the cross tremendous humility of God and we are the beneficiaries of it and I know it is the source of great praise on our part and worship toward him. And Psalm 114 is a celebration of God's uh, power demonstrated in the exodus, the redemption of God's people, the children of Israel from their bondage in the land uh, of Egypt. And so this would have been the second of the Hillel Psalms that would have been Uh, sung just before the Passover meal. And, of course, in the Jewish mind, the Passover, God delivering them from the bondage of Egypt, was the single greatest miracle in their history. It is uh, uh, comparable to them under the old covenant to our salvation experience because God delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, all of it is a type and a picture of the fact that he would send his son to come into the world to deliver us from the greater bondage of sin, which is the harder thing to do than to deliver someone out of Egypt. And yet he's done that. And so this great, beautiful psalm Uh, speaking of the great miracle that God had done in their life in the Old Testament, speaks to us of the miracle that God has done in our life in the New Testament. And in the psalm, six of the eight verses refer to nature, and only two of the verses refer to the children of Israel. And there's a reason for that. It's because the point the psalmist is making is that creation or nature is no obstacle to God being faithful to fulfilling his promises for us. All of his promises are yea and amen. We think of things as being humanly impossible. We should never say as a Christian that such and such is impossible because nothing's impossible for our God. But we can look at something and say, humanly speaking, that's impossible or that's humanly impossible. But whatever God has to do related to nature, however he has to shake it or move it or change it or overrule it in order to keep his promises to us, then he will do exactly that. And so that's why the psalm focuses upon nature and less uh, upon us. And so, verse 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, the exodus... The house of Jacob from a people of strange language moved out from the Egyptian language and the land of that language. And Judah became his sanctuary, that is the site of the tabernacle and the temple in the southern part of Israel, and Israel became his dominion. And so, speaking of this exodus from Egypt, and then The psalmist describes in very poetic language. The Holy Spirit is very much a poet as well, and and he uh, uh, describes the power that God demonstrated in uh, the delivering the children of Israel from Egypt and then beyond. He said the sea, speaking of the Red Sea, sought and fled, and we remember the Red Sea parted in order for that them to accomplish that uh, exodus successfully. Speaking of the miracles of the Lord in their history, the Jordan turned back. Forty years later, following the crossing of the Red Sea, God caused the Jordan River to stack up on one side upstream in order for the people to cross into the promised land. And then he speaks about the mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. And so you ever see a flock of sheep? They begin to move, and he says, this is what the mountains were like speaking of Mount Sinai and the region when God gave the law of Moses to, to, to Moses and the earthquake that was associated with all of that. And then nature is challenged to explain her... A behavior in all of these miracles that occurred. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains that you skipped like rams? O little hills like lambs? And then the answer is given, tremble, O Lord, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. The explanation was the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Speaking of an additional miracle that he did in the wilderness when he brought water out of the rock twice, Moses got in trouble for smiting the rock a second time, but God miraculously overruling nature in order to supply the children of Israel with water that they desperately needed at at, uh, the moment. And so... That old saying that we know within our culture that speaks of moving heaven and earth in order to accomplish something. And that's a saying that we have. Someone might say, listen, I moved heaven and earth to get you that job interview, and you never even showed up. Or someone might say, we're going to move heaven and earth until we find the person that's responsible for this. And so the saying that's within within our culture... And we don't have any real ability to move heaven or earth, and so we use it to speak of making the supreme effort to, to do something. But God doesn't share our limitations. Whatever God promises that He will do, He will do. And He can literally move heaven and earth to stay faithful to His promises. And He will move heaven and earth in order to keep any promise that He has made to us. He will always keep His word. And, of course, that's a truth that the Lord wants us to rest in. And so let's rest in it tonight. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory because of Your mercy, Because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Now Psalm 115 appears to have been written uh, following the return of the Jews back into the land of Israel after their Babylonian uh, 70 year uh, captivity in Babylon. And it was a captivity they went into because of their own sin and because of their own rebellion against the Lord. And as they returned back into the land of Israel, their hearts were filled with a consciousness that this wasn't something that they had arranged or that they had been able to accomplish through their own manipulations or their own powers. They realized that this return back into the land was something that they did not deserve. And so the psalmist gives glory to the Lord knowing that it was only because of his mercy and his truth that they had been allowed to return. Truth because he had declared they would and mercy because it was on the basis of his mercy that they did. Well, a problem arose when they came back into the land. And the problem that they encountered is that they were greeted by The scorn of the pagan Gentiles who had come in and filled the land in their absence, who were worshiping all kinds of different pagan gods uh, during the absence of the Jews. And when the Jews returned and spoke about worshiping a god that you couldn't see, these pagan go- these pagans began to mock the idea of a God that you couldn't see. And Psalm 115 is a reply to their mocking, and it's a reply to the scorn of the godless toward the faith of a child of God in a God that you cannot see. And this response is, is, provides us with one of the most, I think, insightful and instructive passages in all of the Bible... We're guarding man and the God that he chooses to worship. Notice what he says further, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. <laughs> he does whatever he pleases. Their gods, I'm talking about a contrast, are silver and gold. Isn't that sad when you make a God out of your own hands and you have to make it out of silver or gold to convince yourself that it has value? That's what they did. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. You're getting a sense they're good for nothing, don't you? They have hands but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. He doesn't even say they can't speak. He said we can't even get a grunt out of them. They can't make a noise to save their lives. And then in verse 8, those who make them are like them. And then very significantly, so is everyone who trusts in them. The Bible teaches that every single person in this world is a worshiper, that everyone worships some God, that practically speaking there is no such thing as an atheist. It just simply doesn't happen. And we oftentimes we hear a great deal about the atheists. They're very popular at the moment. They're thought of as the great, uh, you know, uh, rebellers, the great intellects, the great stand against, you know, God and the belief in God and all of these uh, kind of things. And so we hear uh, the atheist being put on pedestals today and being adored in one respect or another simply because he believes that he doesn't believe in God. And so it's a highly esteemed position at the moment. But it's important to also understand that as much as the atheist doesn't believe in God, God doesn't believe in the atheist, which is a bigger problem for the atheists. (laughs) He knows there's no such thing as an atheist. Because every single person in this world is a worshiper Of some God. Well, if we're all worshipers, then how in the world does a person identify the God that they worship and they serve? You just identify the master passion in your life. That is our God. And God knows that to be our God. By identifying the thing that has captured my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, what excites me the most in life? What gets me out of bed in the morning with some level of excitement to go and accomplish and to conquer? What do I think about more than anything else in life? Where do I invest my discretionary time? Where does my money go? And when I answer all of those questions, I'll have a pretty good idea as to what my God is or my master passion is in life. And a person's master passion can be money, it can be sports, it can be power, it can be sex, it can be hobbies, it can be work, it can be self, it can be vacation or entertainment, it can be food, it can be nature, it can be a lot of different things. The fascinating thing about this passage, though, in verse 8, is that not only does the Bible teach that every person is a worshiper, but the Bible significantly also teaches that each of us are becoming like the God that we worship. Verse 8, Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. In verses 4 through 7, the psalmist evaluates their objects of worship, their physical images or idols that they worship. They are the work of man's hands. If you can make something, it's less than you because the Creator is always greater than the creation. So it's so illogical, why would I worship something that's less than me? Idolatry is completely illogical. He said, they are silver and gold. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses that don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. They have feet, but they don't walk. And nor do they even mutter through their throat. And over and over again, seven times, they do not, they do not, they do not, they do not. The psalmist declares further... Declares that the most tragic thing about idolatry is not what the idols cannot do. As tragic as that is. The greatest tragedy is what idols do and what they do very well and that is they make men like themselves. As empty and as useless spiritually speaking as these idols. And independent of a life of worship and service to the Lord, the ultimate potential of our speech is wasted. The ultimate potential of our ears is wasted. The ultimate potential of our eyes is wasted. The ultimate potential of our feet and of our life and of our breath is completely wasted. You deny the human mind the privilege of searching out the majesty and the glory and the wisdom of God. You deny the human mind the opportunity to go there, and that is a mind that will be wasted. You deny a human life of God's purposes for his life, of God's path for his feet, Deny human hands the privilege of doing God's work. Deny him the blessing of knowing that every breath that he takes is a gift from God. You deny his heart the chance to soar at the thought of God's love for him and the knowledge of that blood-covered Savior. And then what kind of a life have you left to that man? In heaven's estimation, you've left him as lifeless and as useless as an idol. The psalmist's declaration that we become like the God we serve is a terrible condemnation if a person worships idols, but it becomes one of the most glorious verses in the whole Bible for the person who worships the Lord Jesus. Because to know Him and to worship Him means that we are progressively, day by day, week by week, month by month, becoming more and more like Him. As the Apostle Paul put it in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We become like our God. Exciting news for the child of the God of the Bible. Now, in verse 9, because so much is at stake regarding what we choose to worship, the psalmist then uh, uh, exhorts us to trust in the Lord. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He'll protect us. O God of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And so here is the psalmist calling upon... Any of us that are in this room today that have never put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and made Him our Lord and made the Father our God, the calling upon us to put our trust in the only God that is worthy of our trust and the only God that we want to then become more and more like and all of creation and all of the universe and then here is the promise. For those who do trust in the Lord, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. Believe that. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. He will bless. He will bless. He will bless. He will bless. That is the heart of God, to bless every single person. And the greatest thing that I can do in order to come into that blessing is to become a worshiper of Him. And then the Lord, His great heart toward us, is to bless us. Believe it when the Bible says that He will bless us. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven... Even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. And so here is this uh, 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 revelation in the psalm that for the reason that God has given man planet earth in order for us creating it, creating us in it, for what purpose? To give us a place in which to worship Him and to praise Him. He, the world is His, it's not ours. Has been loaned to us as a place to give him worship and to give him praise. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Now we see verses like this periodically in the Old Testament and in the Psalms, and it just reveals the limited revelation concerning life after death that the Old Testament saints had under the Old Testament. And so in their thinking, in light of that revelation, when a person died, they ceased then to have the opportunity now to continue their worship of the Lord. With the New Covenant and the New Testament and all of the revelation that Jesus has brought to us uh, in his teaching concerning life after death, we realize that worship is really just beginning Uh, once we die and enter into the glory of heaven. This life that we have in this world is such a very small part of the long, long history that we're going to have in worshiping the Lord. The overwhelming majority of that time will be spent in heaven worshiping the Lord. This is a short season of a very long season of praise and worship. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so this clou- closing vow to uh, praise uh, the Lord. So this beautiful psalm that reminds us that we become like our God, which is uh, joy to our ears as lovers of, the, of Jesus and lovers of our Heavenly Father uh, tonight. And then verse 16, beautiful, beautiful psalm. And it's a psalm about the joy of answered prayer. Isn't answered prayer one of the most exciting things that happens in a Christian's life? You just never get tired of it. Remember the first time where you probably can't, but it's, I'm just speaking however. The first time that you can remember when you, as a new Christian, you prayed for something and you saw God, God's answer to that prayer. Oh, my. I mean, we're like 36 inches off of the ground. I used to play a lot of basketball. I have vertical leap of about <laughs> two inches. I could get up a little higher than that, but I could shoot that silly basketball. I'm telling you, I could do it. So I love that sport. I wish I could. Uh, I think it was, was it was a David Thompson that could get up 42 inches vertical jump. 42 inches. Man. <laughs> I will never know what that feels like. (laughs) Maybe in heaven you'll just see me. I just like this heading right for the rim. We're studying the Psalms, aren't we? What psalm were we in? Hmm. But that answer to prayer. And it's the kind of thing you, you never get tired of it. No matter how long we walk with the Lord and here's this prayer and our prayer list and we pray and we see the answer to prayer and what it produces within us. And so this beautiful psalm to a beautiful theme and a beautiful reality here. He said, I love the Lord. Oh, tell me why. There are so many reasons to love the Lord and He gives us one of those reasons, because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he listens to my prayers, and because he inclined his ear to me. Isn't it amazing to realize that the Lord hears our prayers and that he cares enough to hear our prayers? I don't know anybody who cares to hear everything I have to say. People are polite. <laughs> My wife is polite. Sometimes I'm t- I tell her about things that I know she is just being filled with the Holy Spirit and being a wonderful helpmeet by listening to that. Not very often, but... But, you know, you just realize she said, This is important to him, so I'm going to make it important to me, and she'll listen. I don't know if anybody is interested in everything I have to say. Am I going on and on about some situation and some need? I can pour out my heart for hours to the Lord, and he'll listen to every bit of it. And to know that anywhere we are in the world, At any point in time, I can open up my mouth and I immediately access the throne room of God. I can be in a bus station in Toledo, Ohio. I can be in a slum in Bombay, India. I can be anywhere in the world, any of us, any place, and immediately when I lift up a prayer, it comes right before God. Well, don't you love Him for it? The psalmist (laughs) loved Him for it. We love Him for it too, don't we? And so here is this uh, praise because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Now that's the byproduct of prayer and receiving answer to prayer is that it produces a desire to pray even more. And he commits himself to praying even more in light of the answer to prayer that he has experienced. And that's how it works. We pray, God answers the prayer, and then He knows it's going to produce within us an even greater desire to pray. And then He describes the circumstances that He prayed related to in His life. The pains of death surrounded me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow, and then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. So he's in a, he's got a near-death experience here. He thinks he's about to die, and that's the depth of the circumstance he's in. And he cries out, Oh, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. No one prays a prayer that is heartfelt like that toward the Lord, except the Lord is all hands on deck to answer that prayer, however he might answer it. When we come to him in humility, when we come to him... The, the, the more we come to him with the sense of our need... The more he is responsive to... It. He says he's going to lift the humble up and he, and, and he will humble the proud. When we come to him with that kind of a humility of prayer... He hears our prayers and he's excited to answer that prayer. You see him, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. And then in verse 5, there's the afterglow of, of the prayer being answered, the joy and the appreciation of answered prayer. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple, I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted, and in, in my hate. So he prayed the prayer, I am greatly afflicted because of his faith. And then he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. So apparently when he was in the difficulty that he was in, he found that people said things to him. And then in the difficulty of the circumstance, he found that they were far less than the promises they had made to him. But God was not below the promises that God had made to him. So apparently, people had said, Hey, listen, um, if you need anything from me, just call me and I'll be there. And then he needed something from them and he called them and they weren't there. And it's disappointing. But when men and women are unfaithful, God will always be faithful. And he praised the Lord for that. And he said, What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So apparently he had made some kind of a vow. Lord, if you do this in my life, then this is what I will do for you. That isn't the highest thing that we can do related to faith. It's a little bit of a bargain. But if we make a vow to God, then we're to keep it. And we remember he's operating under the old covenant. And so apparently he had made a vow, God, if you answer this prayer and you spare my life, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church and I'm going to praise you publicly for what it is that you've done for me. And so God, having answered the prayer, now he remembers the vow and he is going to keep... Uh, that vow, and he commits to keeping the vow. And then in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, this speaks to me. It's, you, you read through the psalm, and verse 15 sticks out like a sore thumb. You say, What in the world is that doing there? But it really speaks to us of the sensitivity of the heart of the psalmist because he knows that God delivered his life from death. But that God doesn't always deliver every saint from death in response to our prayer. And so he didn't want anybody thinking that had lost a loved one despite tremendous prayer being lifted up for them, that somehow God was less caring of them than he was for him or that God loved him more than God loved the person that died and went into heaven. So there's a beautiful sensitivity for him in all all of this. He doesn't want people thinking that because a person does die, that they mean less to God in some way or less important to God. When it says, precious in his sight, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints... It speaks to the fact that God is present at the death of His children. He is watching the death of His children, always. No Christian ever dies alone. Never. Never. Now, personally, when I die, I wouldn't mind having a person or two that loves me in the room. Or because I'm afraid of death or anything like that, I just believe in the two or more gathered together and and the dynamic of all of that and being around who you love and all. But even if a person is on the other side of the world as a missionary or living in some kind of anonymous room in a convalescent hospital and the person knows the Lord, whatever the circumstances might be, you and I will never, ever die alone. The Lord will be present with us. As Jesus said, He will take us from this life and into the next life that He has shed His blood in order to provide for us. And the only reason, and the reason if we pray for a saint and we pray over here and say, Lord, spare their life and, and deliver them from death in this. And he does that, and that's wonderful, and we're quick to praise the Lord for that. And then we pray the same thing for this person over there. So many in this church through the years that we've prayed that for, we've experienced both. And there they go, they leave us, and they go ahead of us into heaven And there's that realization always that if God does not answer our prayer to deliver them and give them healing or deliver them from the situation in order for their life to be extended here, that their ministry here is over and it's time to go home to heaven. And that's the confidence that we have. We know by virtue of the fact that he heals over here, and we know, period, that it's not a difficult thing for him to do. So when he doesn't heal, it's never an issue of his power. It's always an issue of his wisdom, of what he knows is best for this particular life and this particular situation. And when our race is over, get me out of here. As you've heard me say before, I do not want to be here five minutes longer than the grace of God being upon my life. I am so thoroughly spoiled. I know I speak for you. I am so thoroughly spoiled by the life that I have as a Christian, his grace, his presence, his power, his voice, his spankings too. But I'm so spoiled by it that it would terrify me that there were a possibility that I would experience even one more minute of my life as I once lived it apart from Him. And so when the ministry is over and the race is over, it's time to head for heaven. And you'll see me there. I'll have my little beanie with a propeller on it. And I'll be handing out maps to all the stars' houses up there, the apostles, and giving tours. No, we won't really be doing any of that. And then he continues then to offer praise to the Lord. O oh Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And again, his commitment to keep his vow. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And so uh, that... uh, wonderful psalm here uh, speaking of the joy and the blessing of answered prayer. And of course it reminds us that in order to experience answered prayer is that we need to pray first. And sometimes Christians we can slip into prayerlessness. I can't remember the last time I experienced an answer to prayer. We want to check Are we lifting lifting up a lot of requests to the Lord? Is prayer going on related to our lives? There's a verse in the New Testament. Sometimes it frightens me a little bit related to prayer. And the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. What do I not have in my life tonight because I have failed to ask for it? Oh, I've thought about it hundreds of hours, but I have failed to pray about it. You have not because you ask not. And imagine one day going up into heaven. This is the thing we want to avoid. Some of you are thinking, is he going to ruin the psalm for me now? <laughs> Maybe. I won't. But to go up into heaven and to have the Lord or some angel say, Damien, listen, come here, I want to show you. I've got a warehouse over here, four stories high. And it is just jam-packed full of all of the things that God would have blessed you with if you had only asked for them. And I don't want that to happen in my life. None of us want that to happen in our lives. We want to get into heaven and somebody say, let me show you the vacant warehouse. That you left us with up here. And so the importance of praying to the Lord, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the heart of God. What father, what mother doesn't know and doesn't treasure the opportunity when we have the resources of answering a prayer of our children and meeting a need of our children. And so prayer is a great blessing for us, but it's a great blessing to God because it allows Him to lavish His blessings upon us as fully as He desires. And so we'll stop there tonight and we'll ask the worship team to come forward and ask that they would lead us in a couple of worship songs tonight so that we can Not only read these psalms of praise, but get a chance to praise the Lord from our own heart under the influence of them uh, this evening. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised.